are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we get started, I want to shout out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast hosted by Vinny Iyer. It's a year-round fantasy football podcast, so you can get an edge over everybody else in your league because you'll be paying attention to all of the fantasy goings on all year long, get your reel ready for your fantasy draft. And hey, if you're in uh, like dynasty leagues or doing rookie drafts or whatever, you know your season is kind of always on. And even in redraft, some leagues will do their draft before the preseason. So uh, if you are in one of those leagues, make sure you check that out. He'll help you out with all the advice you need. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And today on the show, we're going to have a running back conversation, not the boring old do running backs matter conversation. We're going to we're going to hone in on a on a part of it, which is about running back targets. Um, and I'll, I'll get into why I want to talk about that and, and what I have to say about it. We're also going to talk about Blake Brandle, the sixth round pick out of Oregon State from 2020, the offensive lineman and his journey through football that for a lot of it, he didn't think he was going to be a football player at all. We'll get into that as well. But first, let's do this running back target thing. This will be the main topic of the show. So I started thinking about this because there was a tweet from a guy named Anthony Reinhardt, who does some uh, sports info solutions, analytics challenge stuff. He's like an analytics guy on Twitter. Uh, and he was musing about the efficiency of running backs when asked to run routes as wide receivers when running backs get uh, split out wide. But there's a greater conversation about running back targets and essentially as a retort to the running backs don't matter thing people say, but what about running backs on pass plays as outlets as, or even as like dedicated receiving options, guys like Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. And, hey, Dalvin Cook that, you know, catch passes out of the backfield, make stuff happen there. What about all that? And this is sort of addressing that conversation. Um, and so I'll, I'll read his finding out loud. He looked at route runners by roster position using Sports Info Solutions data um, and yards per route run and target rate which are, I think, two very good stats to be using here. Um, he excluded screen routes and players lined up in the backfield, which I will uh, talk about a little later. So this is when uh, players were split out wide and players listed as wide receivers did better than players listed as tight ends did better than players listed as running backs, which probably shouldn't surprise you. I'll link his whole thread in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. But like, what is a running back target really? And we'll talk about running back targets in general and then talk about his weird split later. But running back targets, I mean, if they're designed, it's, you know, screens of all varieties. You know, there's the classic screen where they kind of leak out into the flat with a couple of linemen in front of them. There's tunnel screens where they will uh, line up out wide. A lot of times that just goes to a wide receiver, but they will uh, work back toward the quarterback while linemen kind of meet them out there. And it's kind of the same idea, but a different way of starting it. Um, there are angle routes. Uh, one of my favorite concepts is, is Texas, which I know as an angle route where a, a running back will start 
like in a shotgun or even this can even be an under center thing and they will basically run to like the line of scrimmage just outside the tackle and then they will 90 degree cut inside and end up like five yards down the field right in front of the quarterback they'll catch a a pass that way and oftentimes so that's an angle route and that's oftentimes paired with an out route from the uh, tight end or something else that's meant to kind of stress a linebacker in a in underneath shallow zone um, and essentially put that player in conflict there's post wheel which is my favorite concept in the whole world where you have a wide receiver run a post if there's a safety over there that safety will carry that post if he doesn't carry that post then that post is probably a good option um and if the safety carries that post then the wheel route which is uh, of course you know running back running up the sideline behind that post will be pretty wide open and covering a wheel route usually in situations where uh there isn't a safety willing to pick up that running back that means that it's some kind of man coverage usually or some other situation where a linebacker has to carry that wheel all the way down the sideline and linebackers just aren't good at that. There are very few linebackers in the whole league that can do that. That's actually one of my favorite things about Eric Kendricks is that he's gotten pass breakups on post wheel, which always are the just most impressive plays in the world to me. KJ Wright is another guy that I know can do that. He actually got uh, an interception on a similar play against the Vikings. Um, and so those are some of the things that can come on running back targets. Those are the intentional running back targets. Those are the ones that we kind of think about when you go, well, what about a running back out of the passing game? But a lot of a running back's production out of the passing game is as an outlet. Something else didn't go right and you've got to dump it off to the to Dalvin Cook and then he finds a way to get 10 yards because there's nothing but space in front of him. That kind of thing. But that always happens kind of at the end of a progression where there was something else going on the play that didn't work and a quarterback had to go. Maybe there was pressure. Maybe the guy didn't get open the way he was supposed to. Maybe somebody needed to win a matchup and didn't. Maybe the coverage wasn't what they thought pre-snap uh, and they just have to dump it off and you know live to fight another day. And that's always going to drag those run- running back targets down. So it's kind of odd to me to point out like, yeah, running backs get less yards on their targets because... But yeah, most of their targets are checkdowns that are a three yard play on first and 10 because the thing wasn't open. And if you're targeting the running back outside of the few times where it is like a running back focused concept, which happens, but is not the usual, something probably went wrong. So just anything that looks at, you know, running back plays and how often they were targeted and how often, you know, they got yards on those targeted plays versus when wide receivers get targeted and stuff, even if you include adjustments for things like depth or time to throw to try to get rid of, uh, you know, the check down problem, it's just not going to get you a good sampling of the designed and intentional running back plays, which is what you're criticizing. And essentially the analytics community criticizes these running back focused plays because they on average get less yards, but you're always going to be including checkdowns. So what I want to see is a study where, and I don't know of anybody that charts this this publicly, but give me a a study where you look at a designed running back concept, something like Texas or post wheel and say, you know, every time this uh, team ran post wheel and how many yards it got versus, you know, other concepts and chart everything out that way. And you have to do the ones where there was a post wheel on the play, but something else got targeted. And then you could kind of say, you know, targeted post wheels and untargeted post wheels and show me the EPA on like those things. And I think that would be a much better finding for like the equity of a running back target. Um, and again, nobody's charting like passing concepts publicly, but you know, that's going to be a lot closer to what I think an NFL coaching staff will be doing. Um, and, and at that point, you know, you would look at, say, a, a Texas concept with that angle route plus the tight end going out. 
Um, and then, you know, you would look at how often the Texas concept got targeted, whether it's the running back or the tight end. And by the time you have that insight, and you know how good it is or isn't to call Texas. You kind of don't care if it went to the running back or not, because all that is is like up to the linebacker and, and which uh, guy the linebacker cho- chose. Um, but you could do that with a bunch of concepts. You could probably find an edge that way. And again, if I were in an NFL room, I'd probably do that if that were my job. And I bet they do. And I bet, you know, all kinds of different NFL teams would get different results. Um, and, you know, that's probably close to what they're ha- all having their, you know, two, three person analytics departments doing. Um, it kind of reminds me of a mailbag question uh, about like, what stat would you like to see? That's a stat that I would like to see. Tell me everybody's give me a, a few base concepts. You know, Mills in is a route concept that the Vikings love to use and they love to use smash and they love to use curl flat and give me kind of their staple concepts and all the times where they ran that staple concept and, you know, sorted out between the times where they threw it at that and times where they didn't throw it at that and, and give me EPA on those plays and I bet you'd find a really interesting insight. Now, there's the whole deal about like splitting running backs out wide that I also want to talk about. But first, we got to talk about Ramblin'. So the Suns beat my dearly beloved Clippers <laughs> and the Hawks and Bucks. Their series is still ongoing and you can actually bet on the upcoming game, the game on uh, today, Thursday. The Hawks are still plus one and a half, even though uh, Giannis is out for that game. If you want to bet on that or anything in sports, you can bet on NFL futures, like whether or not the Vikings make the playoffs. They're plus 120 to make the playoffs. So if you think they will, you get more than double your money back. You can bet on MLB games. You can bet on NHL, WNBA, uh, reality TV, award shows, anything you want at betonline.ag. It's free to set up an account. Just go to that website, betonline.ag. And when you make your first deposit, you can enter promo code locked on l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n all one word you get a 50 percent welcome bonus that means whatever you put in for your first deposit bet online matches half of it you put in 500 bucks now you have 750 to gramble with just for entering the promo code locked on at betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts so we've talked about the nature of a running back target mostly the designed kind but how often is a running back target like a choice and who is making that choice In fact, how much of play calling in general is controlled by factors outside of the offensive coordinator's control? I think an RPO is a really good direct example, a run-pass option where you are post-snap reading a key, and depending on what, say, Eric Kendricks does, you run it or you pass it, depending on, you know, where he goes in that play. And that, like, run-pass decision is entirely decided by a defensive key. If he gives you the run read, you're going to have a lot more run plays in that game uh, than you even call, just because that's what the defense was doing and your play is designed to take advantage of that so it's not necessarily a bad thing but then people are going to scream till their heads turn blue and blow up about your run pass ratio that's why i've been so sour on run pass ratio as like a synonym for scheme if you think scheme and you think run pass ratio i i encourage you to evolve that is the goal of this summer is to evolve beyond run pass ratio Because there's even more like indirect ways there's, you know, you can call a pass, but then have a running game check if, uh, you know, there's too many people who have gotten out of the box or there's too many deep safeties or something. And if there's two deep safeties, your passing concept won't work. It's maybe a single high beater. So you're just going to check into a run because at least that'll be a light box. Um, And then it'll look like you ran a lot if the defense decides to throw a bunch of too high looks at you. And I, I think that's the way play calls should be, right? It's a bunch of if-thens, and we don't necessarily control what those ifs are. All we can do is control what the thens are, but you don't want to call a play that plays directly into the defense.
defense's hand. If you were to, you know, call four verts every play, eventually they'd just call cover four every play and beat you. And as for running back targets, and I think what bothered me about the uh, thread that kind of started this whole thing was that it seemed to be implying that there was this decision that an offensive coordinator was making between wide receiver and running back versus a choice between throw to the running back and scramble or throw to the running back and take a sack or throw to the running back and force a worse throw that might get intercepted. Coaches don't sit in their room going like, hmm, well, maybe we'll throw to Thielen today. Maybe we'll throw to Irv then a couple times, then maybe one to Cook, make some Justin Jefferson in there. Maybe we get a ham if there's a third down. They don't They don't think about it that way. They can call concepts and they can choose who gets what route. They're going to sign routes. You know, you wouldn't put CJ Ham on a deep post. That we can criticize if that happens, but ultimately, who gets the ball and target share and stuff is more of a quarterback choice than a coordinator's one, and even more a result of defensive keys. What coverage is the defense calls and, you know, what the linebacker chooses if he's the one in, in conflict, if the safety's in conflict. I mean, I bet if they could, every OC would throw a deep post to, you know, Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson every single play, and defenses aren't stupid. They know this, so they do stuff to take it away. They do stuff to make it to, to discourage you from throwing that pass so that you have to find something else to do. And then you check it down to Dalvin Cook, you get nine yards and everybody says, ah, but you could have got 20 if you threw it deep. No, the safety was there. So one last thing, the, the exercise that inspired this whole conversation sorted out screens and backfield routes, which is like a ton of the running back snaps. So he was just looking at just when running backs are split wide. So why would you split a running back out wide and match up, you know, Dalvin Cook with Marshawn Lattimore? And the reasons for that, I think, are really interesting schematically. So you kind of put the defense into a, a really difficult position. Either they have to declare what their coverage is and give the offense information they don't necessarily want to give up. Up or accept a mismatch. So here's what I mean by that. If you put Dalvin Cook out and Marshawn Lattimore is there, you have Dalvin Cook on Marshawn Lattimore, he's never going to beat Marshawn Lattimore. He's not a wide receiver, right? If he could run routes good enough to beat Marshawn Lattimore, he'd be a wide receiver and not a running back. But assuming Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are somewhere else on the field and they're now not covered by Marshawn Lattimore you've gotten your win already. Dalvin Cook doesn't need to do anything else on that play. He can just run a quick clear out route. And the Vikings did this all the time with Dalvin Cook, where they just have him run a, a go route down the sideline. It doesn't matter if he gets open or targeted or whatever, because the whole point is to just bring somebody deep so the rest of the concept can work as intended. So on a yards per route run thing, that looks like an L for Dalvin Cook that reflects poorly on Dalvin Cook, when in reality, it's not really a referendum on him at all. It's just a schematic thing. And he was just a decoy on that one. Now, the other thing that does is that it declares that the uh, in this case, the Saints would be in zone coverage. If you have a running back out and a linebacker follows him, that means it's man coverage. That means that linebacker's job is to cover Dalvin Cook no matter where he goes, follow him all over the field. And a linebacker splitting way out wide is weird enough to kind of tell you, well, his assignment has to be man coverage on Dalvin Cook. If nobody follows him out and you end up with a corner on a uh, a running back, well, a defense knows the advantages that that can generate elsewhere. If they're in zone coverage, they're not going to really care. Matchups don't really matter in zone coverage. You're reading a quarterback's eyes, you're trying to pick off the ball. It doesn't really matter who you end up matched up against. So they'll be totally fine with it. And Marshawn Lattimore can look like he's on Dalvin Cook all he wants. That's not really the coverage where, you know, we're not playing that game. So it's this like more holistic symbiotic thing. You have this really bad matchup for Dalvin Cook where he's most likely not going to be successful. And you say, I don't care about that this time because that 
that means Adam Thielen's going to be on Alex Anzalone. And that's exactly what happened to the Saints in that 2017 Week 1 game, uh, and also in the Minneapolis Miracle game, and also to a degree in the other Saints playoff game. That kind of kept happening to them. And in fact, a lot of Adam Thielen's like Pro Bowl seasons have come against linebackers because the various Vikings offensive coordinators have managed to generate those matchups. There's also the idea that if you are up against a linebacker, if it is man coverage, and you send that linebacker out to the sideline, he might be less comfortable out there than your running back is. You might have an advantage there too. So I'm not quite sure who this threat is responding to because I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, well, you know, running backs matter because you can split them out wide in the slot and then they're wide receivers. I don't think anybody thinks that. Sean Payton does not think that splitting, you know, Alvin Kamara out into the slot means he's going to do a, be a slot receiver and, you know, you're going to use his talents that way. And, and I think I'm kind of realizing that this whole deal is in response to this, like, alternate universe straw man thing where people are trying to argue that, you know, running backs split out and do wide receiver things and therefore they're just like wide receivers. And it's just it's like, boy, that running backs don't matter. Discourse has gone to a weird place, hasn't it? And I don't think it's really like responding to a realm of reality anymore. Um, there's just more holistic stuff. I, I say it like I must sound like a broken record. Football is so symbiotic. Everything affects everything. You take one thing away and it adds something to something else and vice versa. And so to try to break it down to this granular thing, I think misses, you know, if you say, yeah, running back won't beat Marshawn Lattimore and that's bad. That's fine. It's a cost that an offense is incurring on purpose in exchange for another benefit. And it's so holistic that to break it down to its components, you're getting to something crazy obvious. Yes, of course, running backs don't beat cornerbacks in coverage. We know that and we're accepting that so that we can get an advantage elsewhere. So switching gears coming up next, we're going to talk about Blake Brandle and his journey to the NFL. But first, let's talk about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Imagine it's a late night. Maybe you had a workout that day. You're feeling snacky. You might fall off the wagon. Maybe you're even on a keto diet and you're thinking about indulging on a peanut butter brownie. Well, you can indulge that craving without falling off the wagon with Built Bar. Built Bar comes in a whole bunch of delicious flavors like chocolate raspberry, coconut almond, nine delicious flavors, and there's a bunch of specialties that come on a limited basis at BuiltBar.com. They're low calorie, low carb, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, so they won't mess up if you're trying to lose or maintain weight, and they're delicious to boot. So head on over to BuiltBar.com, check it periodically for those specialty flavors, uh, and when you buy a box at Built Bar, enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, you can get 15% off of your next order. That's Locked 15, all one word, at BuiltBar.com. Like most offensive linemen, Blake Brandle was a pretty big kid growing up. Uh, And he played both football and basketball. And in football, the big kid is always going to be an offensive lineman. He's the mauler up front, and we've heard that story a lot of times. In basketball, especially in the youth leagues and at the younger levels where kids kind of grow at different rates, when you're the big kid, you're the star. You're the guy, get the ball to Blake and he's going to dunk it over everybody's, you know, sixth grade, like scrawny nerd. He's the star. And he looked like a football player on the basketball court. And so Blake Brandle, from a very early age, didn't really want to embrace football. He didn't want to be the kind of tertiary guy that opened the way for somebody else to get all the stardom and and the, the attention and the accolades and all that stuff. He wanted to play basketball where he himself could be the star. And in fact, in the summer, right before his freshman year in high school, before ninth grade, he told his parents, 
I'm not, I'm done with football. I'm not going out for football this year. And he was just going to play basketball and be a basketball player. We would be talking about Blake Brandle, the college, you know, NBA draft prospect or whatever. And he'd be getting discussions a couple years ago on the Locked On NBA Network instead of here. So in ninth grade, he's this big hulking freshman and he's walking around the halls and he's not going out for football. And so the vice principal sees him and he's like, hey, you going out for football this year? And Blake Brandle says, no. And the vice principal is like, what are you talking about? Look at you. You're a football player. Go out for football, man. And of course, you know, football is a fall sport. Basketball is a winter sport. So a lot of kids can can and do do both. So he talked him back into playing both sports. But Brandel still kind of felt like football was a secondary thing. That central Catholic team from Portland, Oregon, that he was a part of that junior year, won state for the first time for central Catholic in 60 years. He still didn't really think he was a football player. And then the 2013, so that was 2013, and the 2013 Oregon 6A All-State list came out, and Blake Brandle was on it. He, he got All-State honors in the highest league uh, in high school football in Oregon, and that kind of made it seem real. And maybe it was the affirmation that, like, yeah, I truly am as good at this as I am at basketball. Maybe it was some sort of acknowledgement uh, that, you know, he was a, a legitimate player and that people actually are watching offensive linemen. But that uh, accolade, making that All-State team, really changed his tune. And not too uh, far after that, Oregon State offered him a scholarship. And then some other schools started offering him scholarship. And at that point, Blake Brando was like, oh, this is a path. I'm going to be able to do this. And he's all in on football. So he decides to go do a weight training program, pack on some extra pounds so he can really be like a true uh, you know, elite caliber looking offensive lineman. Um, and he eventually accepts Oregon State's offer and he enrolls. And his time at Oregon State was uneventful in a very good way for an offensive lineman. He made his friends. Uh, he did the college experience. He stayed healthy very crucially. And he racked up this ridiculous start streak that if you really look up anything about him now, uh, it's mostly Oregon State kind of talking about how he uh, he played for four straight years and he started 48 straight games, which is like third best in school history. He ended up building this great friendship with his uh, co-tackle for three years, a guy named Gus Lavaca, who played uh, the other side for him. Um, he ends up playing both tackle spots at some place or another as guys get injured. He was mostly a left tackle for Oregon State, but he moved over to the right as a guy got uh, as, you know, this guy or that guy got injured. And all of that experience gives him this very kind of veteran um, polish almost that gets him uh, drafted by Minnesota. He doesn't have the best offensive uh, like athletic profile. It was OK, um, but he it was really the experience, the 48 straight starts, the reliability. And that gets him drafted to Minnesota. And once you get drafted, now everybody's interested in talking to you. And, and throughout this whole time, I mean, at Oregon State, when he was a senior and he was a leader and he was the kind of stalwart starter, that's when you start hearing the same kind of O-line cliches that you always get about kind of, oh, you know, I don't like the spotlight and I like doing, you know, I'm okay doing the dirty work and I just like being able to, you know, just to get to work and put my head down and, and you know, kind of stay out of the fray. And that is the classic offensive line attitude. We actually talked to Evan Kazarzik 
uh, a few weeks ago on this show, and he kind of had that same attitude. And and most of the offensive linemen that I talked to in my in my career, at least, have kind of had that like you know head down. I just want to be a workhorse kind of guy, and it's kind of the right thing to say. But you can kind of tell they mean it. They don't really like the attention. And Blake Brandon, you could tell, didn't relish the attention like maybe he once did. So he gets drafted to the Minnesota Vikings, but of course, 2020 sixth round pick, uh, difficult group to crack. And he doesn't make the roster, especially with no preseason on which to, like, prove himself. But honestly, I don't know what's different about this group. I suppose there's a little bit of a what could have been for Blake Brandle, who might have made the active roster if Riley Reef didn't take the pay cut that he was kind of given the ultimatum. If you remember back in August when the Vikings traded for Unique Ngakwe, they kind of asked uh, Riley Reef to take a pay cut or be cut. And if he had chosen, hey, I'm going to, you know, be cut, there would have been an extra roster spot that might have been Blake Brandle's. But, you know, this time it's even harder because that weird situation is off the table. Riley Reef got replaced by Christian Derrissaw, who's never going to get cut. And then you've got Rashad Hill, Brian O'Neill, and Oli Udo as tackles. Those guys are pretty entrenched. Now, you don't have Ezra Cleveland also kind of pressuring that tackle spot. Seems like he's pretty locked in as a guard. So you have to kind of be the fifth tackle. And to be the fifth tackle, you have to prove that the Vikings don't need five interior offensive guys or prove that you're the 10th offensive lineman. So that's a difficult but not impossible place to be. Um, and it was the same place he was in last year. So now he has to make the team. And that's, of course, going to be a difficult uphill battle for a kid that spent most of his career being an unbelievably consistent and reliable starter and kind of having that by default. Now he's got to climb uphill for it. So we'll see what happens with Blake Brandle, the kid who might not have even gone out for college football were it not for an all-state list his junior year of high school in 2013 in the state of Oregon. I will talk to you all tomorrow about something. We'll find out. But in the meantime, check out the Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts that. He does everything going on in the wide world of sports under 20 minutes every single morning. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, and the show is on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. See you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.